All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Bell Curve. Before we jump in, quick disclaimer, the views expressed by my co-host today are their personal views, and they do not represent the views of any organization with which the co-hosts are associated with. Uh, Nothing in the episode is construed or relied upon as financial, technical, tax, legal, or other advice. You know the deal. Now, let's jump into the episode. Solana doesn't worry about that. Solana is purely an application platform, um, and I really respect that. And I think that if you have fundamental growth uh, from your from your core product, which is the platform, the token will come uh, right. Like I think there will be there will be value there. All right, everyone, we will be back to the program in just a moment. But before we do, I want to share something that Blockworks has been cooking up for these last couple of months. March of this coming year in London, Blockworks is hosting DAS London, the largest institutionally focused conference in all of crypto. Goldman, JP Morgan, Point72, all in one room so you can know what the big money is doing. So click the link at the bottom of this episode. It'll take you right over to the homepage and use Bell20 for 20% off. I will see you in sunny London town in March. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another roundup edition of Bell Curve. Today, you got me and Miles holding down the fort. Mies, welcome back, buddy. Good to be back. Good to be back once again. Yeah, spin drift in hand. I'm rocking oh, yeah. a uh, Pample Moose LaCroix myself, a man of taste, man of refinement. <laughs> I love it. We just uh, we were just uh, coined the term chain smoking spin drifts. It was when you're on a seltzer roll and you know once you're done with one, just straight back to the fridge. That's and, uh, the most like just turned 30 thing I've ever heard. Like uh, chain yeah. smoking. Chain smoking uh, hey, it means we've, we've come a long way. We've come a long way. <sighs> that we have, that we have. Um, all right, let's, let's get into it. I, I think where I want to spend a good amount of time today is actually discussing the return of token season. So just within the last of the span of just over a week, we've had, It's not a new token launch, but we've had DYDX go live over on Cosmos. We had Celestia go live, the mainnet launched, and now Tia, the token, is trading. They did a little Halloween launch. Uh, Shout out to Celestia. Good on them. We also had uh, Jupiter over on Solana and Pith uh, as well. So Solana is is in a little bit of a league of its own this week. There's Breakpoint, and obviously the token has just uh, exploded in price. We're recording this on the second, and I think now it's down just below 40 bucks, but it, it had quite a run from basically 19 straight to, I think, over 45. So a um, lot to touch on Solana um, and and tokens in general, but yeah, maybe Miles, where I'll kick it off to you to, to start with is I think there's the one thing that I've been thinking about as a framework and want to toss it over and see if it makes sense to you is there's this idea in uh, equity markets of the IPO window being open which is you don't really want to take a company public when you think you're going to get a subpar valuation. Uh, hence the market, this idea that the market is closed. But then when the market heats back up, economy's roaring, people are ready to speculate again, that IPO window opens and you tend to get these bursts. So I'm wondering if something like that is applicable in crypto and if we're starting to see the token window open again. Thoughts? I uh, think you're you're definitely onto something here. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of teams that were planning on launching tokens a long time ago um and they've they've shelved it right because if there's absolutely no speculative demand whatsoever you're kind of playing that card you know uh at the wrong time and not getting any of the benefits um and we've definitely definitely feels like we've turned the corner here um where you don't 
you know, there's, there's maybe like a, a sweet spot where you want to launch your token really like right before things start picking back up so that you can have that wealth effect and, you know, under yeah. early adopters, right? But you don't want to launch your token like towards the end of the cycle, then everybody hates you because they bought in at a valuation that is just <laughs> wasn't going to sustain itself beyond like the next six months. Um, and there's lots of projects like that, that, you know, are unfortunately down like 99% and it's hard to tell really where their, where their community is at today. Um, and I think we're getting into that sweet spot right now. Um, maybe, maybe we're getting a little ahead of our skis. Maybe the projects that launch end up finding out that, okay, the market's actually not back and it won't be back for another year or two. Um, but there's enough there, enough momentum there, I think, um, particularly in the Solana ecosystem, um, that I think we're going to see a lot of these, like, um, you know, tokens that a lot of projects that have PMF or some semblance of it, right. Um, have been holding off on their token for a long time. Um, you know, maybe they have like a point system or something like that, just to have teased it to users. Um, and now they're kind of coming around, right. Cause they can feel, you know, Solana going up, um, the speculative like dollars coming back into the ecosystem, um, that's bringing up TVL and, you know, they just need to like light the, uh, light the spark with the token and, and let it run from there. Um, yeah, so I, I totally agree with you, uh, whether or not they, you know, we have like the same sort of, uh, strategies of token distribution and, and, um, bootstrapping, you know, as, as the last cycle we'll see, but, um, we're definitely hitting that, that, that sweet spot. And I would say just one other thing, like with the cosmos launches, that's a little bit different, right? Because those are not projects that have been live for a long time um you need that to the token launch comes with the chain launch right um and so that could change over time by the way whether it's new new ways to build cosmos chains that don't need a native gas token but i would just say it's a little bit different in that you know this is like these projects are coming alive for the first time versus on solana it's now you can just actually speculate on them yeah so a lo lot of different ground cover and i do want to get into your thoughts on the strategy, right? Maybe we can put our operator caps on here and try to speculate about what the strategy for an airdrop or incentives would look like this time around and how, if at all, it's going to look different from what projects did back in the 2020-2021 era. Be very interested to get your thoughts there. Completely agree with you on the sentiment that the strategy here is you want to try to find the sweet spot of launching when there's a little bit of excitement and try to maximize the amount of uh, revenue that you can bring into the treasury or uh, you know, uh, reserves that you can bring into the treasury rather. But at the same time, what you definitely do not want to do is launch at the absolute peak, have down only. There's no there's no better way to kill a promising project, right? Or have VCs uh, be dumping their token allocation, which is obviously not popular with the community. I, I do want to, before we get into, I think it probably makes sense to start with Solana here. But before we do, I just want to give a, here's another framework of mine. I'll, I'll see, see if you agree with this. But, you know, in terms of one of the the things that I think needs to happen that, uh, catalyzes a, a bull market in crypto. First, Bitcoin has to run, but I think you described it really well, which is this idea of a wealth effect. So in order for there to be a real sustainable bull market, which is why I always push back on the like, friend tech is going to take us into the next bull market. Like, No, it's not going to take us. That's PVP game action there. And th those numbers are down quite a bit, by the way. But really what we need is like the, the common bag that everyone holds to go way up. Everyone starts to feel very wealthy 
and then they reinvest those perceived gains like their casino chips into projects X, Y, and Z, right? And all the time that you're sort of building leverage. So that's why you need to see the run in the majors, um, which we obviously are seeing a little bit in Bitcoin and ETH, but Solana has really been in a league of its own here. And I, I know you've got a couple folks on the ground over at Breakpoint, so do we. Um, so I'm happy to relate some of some of what I've been hearing. But what do, what do you uh, what do you ascribe to this this massive run up in Solana here? It's interesting. I think I think there's a lot there. I mean, first of all, I think it's very clear that the there's been a a big community that's continued building through you know really the darkest parts of the bear market where it hit Solana. Um, and so there's that community, that sense of community is strong and there's really good builders that are, I would say like, you know, building for users. I think the other part is, is more of like a tech narrative piece where, um, if you think about this time last year, uh, or maybe a little bit before this time last year, DYDX had just announced they're going to Cosmos. Um, and there's this large app chain narrative that really took over. We saw all the rollups, you know, going from basically being little mini L1s to saying, no, no, we're going to have, a, this is a, a roll-up framework. We're going to have, you know, a, a ton of these roll-ups uh, that's kind of all going to be app specific, et cetera, et cetera. We had tons of infrastructure built to, to try to like, I guess, you know, handle all of this new complexity. Um, and now we're getting to a point where I think you could argue the narrative is um, maybe we over, we overbuilt for, for app chains right now. Um, maybe a lot of that, you know, additional complexity isn't worth it if you can get those benefits of speed and, you know, noisy neighbor problems on a highly performant, you know, L1, which one is still around, which one still has a great community, Solana. Um, and so, you know, that's maybe uh, coming from my like Cosmos, you know, roles and, and, um, and Ulta being really close to the rollups and the RAS providers um, is what I'm seeing is that, We've got more infrastructure here and more infrastructure providers for app chains than there are, you know, developers who want to build app chains. Um, and I guess the 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 simplicity of of just launching on a highly performant L1 is is definitely starting to uh, to appeal to folks. Um, so that I think is the narrative component to this. But I'm curious to hear if you agree. I, I would agree with that. I've been very positive on Solana for, for a while. Um, there, there's a broader sort of architecture uh, decision that I think that that they made the right call on, which is uh, largely letting hardware scale with Moore's Law to accommodate for just higher throughput on uh, the the main chain. Like, like the e-scaling solution has essentially been a very... And by the way, I say this as a, as a lover of Ethereum, but where I would quibble with is this sort of very narrow definition of decentralization that exists there, which is we are going to keep the hardware requirements extremely low based on this sort of static definition of who can opt in and run a full node on the chain. Whereas I think the Solana version is to say, and so most scaling solutions in ETH, whether it's coprocessors like Axiom or if it's rollups, is just to say, uh, let's just take this computation and move it to this other chain that we're going to like sort of batch transactions or submit proofs, and then we'll just verify it on main chain. Whereas I think the Solana, where Solana is uh, very ahead and something that they were right about was, okay, even if you do some things like that, ultimately you're still going to want to maximize throughput on, on that main chain. Um, and that actually has some immediate benefits just in terms of uh, le much less complexity, you probably get a lot of the benefits of app chains by the the local fee markets and solving the noise and neighbor problem, and you don't fragment liquidity, which is which is a little bit of a challenge. So now, 
Um, I, I sort of think, so I think all of that is absolutely true. There's a huge narrative and community aspect to this. Now, I'm not a trader by any means, but what I would, what I think has surprised me is the way probably it looks like the crypto natives were positioned here. I think ETH has just been such a consensus play for such a long time. Probably most of the buying for ETH that was going to happen has already gotten done. I think ETH is probably, it's going to do great and it's still probably the best risk reward play and is set to run here. But it, it just looks like uh, Solana was underowned. There were some shorts out on it. And I think the run-up that you saw was just a pretty classic short squeeze. And I think this will probably have a pretty big effect in terms of waking the market up to the idea that Solana is a robust community and here to stay. Because I think you and I have always had open minds about this. I've been positive on it for a little while. But I think a good portion of crypto had and the crypto native bid had counted it out for a long time. So. Yeah. I think that's I think that's probably right. You know, I think the EVM is still the dominant dominant you know uh, developer I guess environment uh, execution environment. Um, the SVM I would say is has really uh, come it's probably in second at this point. Um, and you know you can tell that the folks have been building on it have been there for a while, um, which means that the tooling around it is getting much much better. You know, projects like Helios are great. Um, and yeah, I think I think that that is is appealing to new developers that are looking across the space. And I would say the other thing is, you know, I feel like with Ethereum, there's a tension between, um, you know, the product of the token uh, and the product of the application platform. Um, a lot of the design choices that have been made, you know, towards maximizing like decentralization, which then kind of makes your your the asset the underlying asset more attractive have really detracted from the developer experience there. And even just in terms of like, you know, the rake that Ethereum takes off of, uh, off of fees, right. Um, is, is pretty egregious. And so Solana doesn't worry about that. Solana is purely an application platform. Um, and I really respect that. And I think that if you have fundamental growth, uh, from your, from your core product, which is the platform, the token will come. Uh, right. Like I think there will be, there will be value there. And so, um, you know, by not trying to, I guess, straddle both sides of competing with Bitcoin and competing with other application platforms, Solana has been able to, you know, I would say, um, avoid some of these trade-offs that, that, that Ethereum has had to deal with. All right, everyone, we will be back to the program in just a moment. But before we do, I want to share something that Blockworks has been cooking up for these last couple of months. March of this coming year in London, Blockworks is hosting DAS London, the largest institutionally focused conference in all of crypto. We are gathering 1,200 of the world's largest asset managers. So think TradFi macro funds, crypto native funds, big allocators, and financial institutions. So banks, payment processors, etc. All in one spot. It's very rare to get the likes of Goldman, JP Morgan, Point72, whatever, all in one room. So so you can know what the big money is doing. We're diving into the themes that they care about. So we're talking about the intersection of macro and crypto, where we are in the cycle, real world assets. So everything from stable coins to on-chain treasuries to tokenized assets, it's gonna be a blast. But the other reason you really wanna go, is London, baby, center of the world at one point. You got pub culture, you got fish and chips, great beer. It's gonna be a blast. So because you're such great listeners to Bell Curve, there's a code BELL20 that's gonna get you 20% off. So click the link at the bottom of this episode. It'll take you right over to the homepage 
homepage. You'll see all of our speakers and use Bell20 for 20% off. Ticket prices are going up soon. Make sure you go use that code. I will see you in sunny London town in March. I, I'm a little torn on this. I have never been a huge fan of the ultrasound money meme on Ethereum or ETH is ultrasound money. But on the one hand, I do sort of wonder if Ethereum is just a little bit ahead in its roadmap from something like Solana. So Solana today can say, we don't care about this value accrual to the token and we're just going to build the best platform. But again, my framework for how these ecosystems grow is this money wealth creation effect that happens by appreciation in the base layer token. I mean, that's the best marketing, you know, call it customer acquisition, content marketing, money illusion, whatever it is. I feel like the way that these cycles get catalyzed and start is base price token goes up and then that acts as a rising tide lifts all boats for everything that is built on those ecosystems. So, you know, on the one hand, I, I do agree. I think one of the ways that Solana has positioned itself relative to ETH is saying we're a tech platform. We don't care about this idea of being a money, which is probably a good thing. But I do wonder if they will have to revisit their fee model eventually and start to think about value accrual in a couple of years, because I do think that that's just the winning model in terms of attracting new apps to the ecosystem. I'm not sure what they'll do though, because with Ethereum, it was like you had fees were egregious. They were just all going to the supply side of, of miners. Right. Right. And so all you had to do is just flip a switch and say, actually, no, we're going to burn like the majority of those of those fees that were going to miners and now they become revenue. Look at our PL. Like we just went from, you know, negative like two billion in losses per year to to cash flow positive. Um with Solana, there's not a ton of value that is flowing either to the supply side or to the um, you know, to the token holders in the first place. It's very cheap to use this chain, right? Yeah. And I think that it's it, you know, any sort of like auction and trying to auction is a drag towards uh for mev is a drag towards to, to latency um which is again probably going to be a tough design trade-off for them to make because that is really what they're optimizing for right um and so if you can just get enough applications and, and volumes and transactions and you actually have like you know millions or hundreds of millions of people using applications on this chain I don't think there needs to be some sort of, you know, uh, financial like engineering, you know, to, to that's equivalent to like the base fee switch for for Ethereum. But mm. I do see what you mean. Like, yeah, I've, I'm not 100. percent I don't have my mind made up on that. I, I think there's two ways that you could look at fees, which is fees are a form of value accrual, or there's sort of a rate limiting system, right, to prevent uh, DDoS attacks or spamming the network. I just th that there's probably a spectrum there, and I would just say that. It feels like the ETH camp on today is a little bit more in the in the camp of more fees equal good. And I feel like the way the Solana camp thinks about it is more of a spam limiting, probably just because they, at one point, fees were just, you know, 0. 0.000001 cents or whatever, and they had a huge spam problem. So maybe just that there's that cultural difference and that's how they think of the fees. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And the local fee market um, feature is so cool, in my opinion, um, like, really one of the more interesting innovations that have come out for a while. And, you know, speaking to like the Gito guys, you could implement, I guess, auctions on an account level. Right. Um, and so that if there is, you know, you've got like an NFT man or something like that, that, you know, is going to absolutely end up with like transaction spamming this account. You have 
you know, a way to, I guess, increase the base fees um, to deter spam, but you could also just, you know, implement some sort of auction. And, and if it's a, a use case that doesn't need that sort of like insanely high latency um, and then turn it off, right? Uh, when, when that period of like, I guess, you know, the, the huge activity is, is over. Yeah. There's a lot of really cool stuff that you could do there. One of the challenges that I think that the Jito folks think a lot about is just there is, you know, Solana obviously has much shorter block times. I think it's about 400 milliseconds is the average. There is, you know, one of the design parameters, it seems like from the Solana perspective is just shortening those block times because uh, it, because it is help. It does solve a lot of the stuff that people on ETH end up thinking a lot about would like MEV and loss first rebalancing, like those problems do, you do solve some of the problem, not all of it by just shortening the block times. So actually yeah. a lot of the like Dex designers over on ETH are like shorter block times, guys, this would be, <laughs> this would be, this would be great. But there, there is a certain amount of time that you just need to run an auction as well. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and honestly, I think even at 400 milliseconds, like there are still, um, you know, Dex is there that are saying this latency, it's, it's still too slow. Um, yeah. like we're not getting the institutional traders still because even, even this is too slow. Uh, they're not profitable. Um, right. and so, yeah, I think they'll just continue driving that down, but yeah. I, I think that's worth it. Um, because it brings on that all unlocks all these different user types that now are like, Oh, okay. This is literally the same thing as a centralized exchange. I can feel pretty confident in running these same strategies now. Let me ask you something. Uh, this is going to sound like a little bit of a deviation, but in one of our recent episodes that we did, we were talking about a framework for looking at layer ones, either as a commodity or like an operating system. And we were talking about them, but as being these different ways that you could look at it. But what if you looked at layer ones as existing on a scale of something like a commodity to something like an operating system? Does that make sense? And the simpler you're operating, the parameters are around your operating system and like the less performant and therefore the less complexity you absorb, the more commodity-like the unit of accounting is in within your within your layer one. Whereas the more uh the more complexity that you that you absorb, the more tech and performant it is, the more you, you kind of need to have a different structure to support something like that. Um, and you take on different assumptions and then it starts to look more operating system-esque and they might actually exist on like a continuum there actually what do you what do you think about that idea it's interesting i i just kind of view them as as a little bit more separate right like i think that the you know, like we used to talk about big bitcoin big b and little b right um and so you know the the product right is the operating system but i do agree with you that you know the design of the product and what the product is optimizing for does have an impact on like the the underlying asset um mm -hmm. and and can make it look more like a commodity or more like an equity um i think i'm not sure where you would say like ethereum fits versus solana in that comparison though because you know solana is like optimized you know to be the operating system piece right um but in many ways that actually makes the role of solana more uh, straightforward than mm -hmm. what the role of ETH is going to be looking like in this, you know, roll up world, right? If anything, it's like, once you have to push that to the roll up side, you, you know, we've talked about it a little bit, you start to like fragment, you know, I would say like investment fragment, even like use of, uh, of gas tokens from like a commodity standpoint. Um, 
you know, if there's like $5,000 coming in to bet on the Ethereum ecosystem, maybe now some of that goes to the roll-up tokens themselves instead of it all going to Ethereum. Um, maybe some of the roll-ups actually, you know, end up using their own token for gas, um, which still they have to buy Ethereum to like post data and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I just kind of a, it, I don't think it's as um, straightforward as, as it might seem. Yeah, I, I, I do want to reiterate here because some of this is seeming like criticism of Ethereum and as not really how I feel. But that point that you just said has been my theory for a little while and I haven't heard anyone else say this. So I feel a little like just, put, it. just putting say it out it. to the either. But I just think the most led, left curve explanation here is that if you had a thousand bucks to invest in Ethereum in 2019 or 2020, you put a thousand bucks into Ethereum, but now you might put 500 into Ethereum and 250 into Arbitrum, 250 into Optimism. Um, and I, I guess, I guess it, we'll have to wait for a couple months uh, or maybe like a year. Maybe people will start looking at the RB ETH or OP ETH sort of charts to get relative strength there. But yeah, I, I, that, that's what I would, I think that's sort of going to continue to be a, a factor here. Um, but I don't really want to speculate too much on on price here, and that's not super super important at the end of the day, anyway. I do want to get a sense. I mean, you've got folks on on the ground over there in uh, Breakpoint. I, I we've got the same, and my, you know, from from what I've heard, uh, people generally the exact description is people feel like they're sitting on a pot of gold. You know, vibes could not be higher. <laughs> I think um, solid mix of builder to investor, which is which is what you'd love to see. Actually, pretty famously, I, I did go to the first break point 2021 and there that was off there was way more investors than builders which is not what you want to see it was that was like extremely hypey very top signal that's not the vibe that i'm getting now it seems pretty builder oriented um and it seems like folks are having fun i saw totally dressed as you know that meme of like the the silly dragon or whatever like the third head of the dragon uh yeah i, I don't know what, what have you heard no same um you know i think i think they're very aware that like the tides have turned um, towards their favor. I think what will be interesting, um, at least personally for me, uh, is is just to see what like the mix of developers ends up looking like. Um, because last last time when Solana was coming up, it was really just like net new developers going into yeah. you know Solana, right? Uh, it wasn't like they were stealing a lot of Ethereum devs or something like that. Um, and now they're you know coming into like whatever, whenever this like yeah, activity picks back up, they actually have a large, you know, community of their own developers, like Solana native developers. Um, I still think they're like very appealing to that net new developer um, because a lot of it resonates with them from, from web two. Um, so yeah, I, I think we'll, it'll be interesting to see if this, you know, at the application level, if the, the stars of Solana are like those you know, projects that have stuck through the bear market, or if it's going to be a lot, um, you know, this like similar to last time, a wave of, of net new projects. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be very curious as well. I, the, the pool of developers in, in Rust is much larger, obviously, than Solidity. Solidity, uh, what is the dominant still smart contracting language, but a smaller overall pool when you look at it, um, just in, in the grand scheme. Although I do think there are efforts, this is what Georgios is doing, right? From Paradigm to actually bring Rust into Ethereum as well. So and Arbitrum. Might, 
Arbitrum did it too. And Arbitrum. So that might actually be a non, yeah, Stylus uh, by Arbitrum is a super cool project. So that might actually end up being uh, not as much of a factor here. W- one thing that probably uh, we, sh- we should talk about, because I think it's going to be a big catalyst for, this is sort of the the wave, right? So we had the run up in price from Solana from, you know, between 15 and 20 bucks, wherever is hovering to around 40 today. Um, and there have been a bunch of projects that have you know, quality projects that, that have gotten funded within the last year or so. And the question is, when were they going to launch tokens? So, you know, you've seen uh, Gito, who we've had, the uh, Lucas and some of the other guys we've had on the podcast before. So they've launched their points. So obviously this is speculation. I, I don't know, but you would assume that a token is coming after points. Same thing with MarginFi. Um, you just had within the last week, you had Pith uh, announce its token launch. You had Jupiter uh, announce uh, a token launch as well. And I, I would guess there's probably going to be quite a bit more of that over in the Solana ecosystem, which might make Solana kind of an interesting place to 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 be or to spend some time and focus. Yeah, totally. Um, again, I think they're they're like playing that card at the right time. Um, yeah. If anything, like maybe a tad early, but I think I think it makes sense, honestly, to to try to drive that um, themselves, and they've have good usage, good products um, will be very interesting to see if they try to, you know, kind of evolve some of the strategies from last cycle in terms of, you know, looking to see what worked well, what didn't. Um, Like there's probably a lot of low hanging fruit there. Um, And yeah, I think, I think in general, like uh, I can only see TVL kind of going up from here. with with Solana, I mean, it's been so low for so long. Um, yeah. But the idea here is that you get and Solana. Ulta has some like mainstream recognition now. Like if I describe tokens to to normies, I, it's now like in that you know Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, and they're usually have, they usually have heard about it. Um, and a big part of this also is like you know not just you know a wealth effect for the early adopters, but um, kind of this you know inevitable FOMO that ends up happening when, when, you know, people start, you know, CNBC starts saying like, Oh, crypto's roaring back and et cetera, et cetera. And then you get in, you know, net new dollars. So um, maybe, maybe it's time. Maybe, maybe not. look at this. Uh, this is a pretty man. The, the ups and downs of crypto, uh, the human psyche was not meant to bear these levels of volatility. I mean, this is just tough. Look at this. This is a TVL chart. And by the way, I do think TVL, I'm glad that people are waking up to this as being not a broken metric, but you can't just one size fits all. But look at this run up here in 2021, uh, you know, in the span of uh, a year, just under a year, uh, you know, to 9 billion, from basically zero to 9 billion. And then from 9 billion, I mean, it dropped down to 200 some million. And just, just now, I mean, even now, it's almost still a little bit early uh, to talk about recovering. It's been a good trend, but only since the beginning of this year, you know, and, TV, and, and even relative to, you know, the, the uh, like there was a headline a couple of months ago, maybe a month, a month and a half ago that base, you know, overtook uh, the entire Solana TVL. So it's, it, look, not financial advice is a non-financial advice corner, but that does feel pretty exciting, right? I mean, a chain with so much mind share, um, kind of coming out of the gutter, and still pretty pretty early here in terms of TVL and, and rebooting adoption. So 
yeah, we're, we're rooting for our, our friends over there. And uh, I think it'll be an interesting, interesting ecosystem to watch. Maybe we could talk a little miles. I'd love to get your thoughts. I know you and I've debated about the, the return on investment of doing things like incentive programs, uh, air, uh, airdrops, things like that. Um, I got, I got a couple of charts to, to show you here. Um, maybe one we can debate. I think we showed this last week, but you and I talk about this a lot and I was actually wanting to get your opinion on it. But, uh, here is a chart. Uh, Hasu retweeted it, but I think it originally came from, yeah, Richard Chen, um, about the cost of airdrops of some of these major ecosystems. So DYDX, Uniswap, Arbitrum, Blur, ENS, Optimism, and the ranges here of, you know, DYDX, the cost of the airdrop was 1.4 billion. Uniswap is 657 million. Arbitrum just under 1.4 billion. Blur, 342 million. ENS, one point, almost 1.2 billion. And then Optimism, 234 million. Big numbers. Obviously, we're talking about some of the most successful protocols in all of crypto. I mean, what are, you, what are your thoughts on airdrops? Like, were, were these worth it, do you think? And, and then maybe we could get into some of the more nitty-gritty tactical stuff of how the strategy for airdrops are changing. Is yeah. Changing. Um, yeah so, I mean, there's airdrops, um, and I would almost have that kind of maybe be separate than some of the, like, ongoing incentives um, mm. for usage yeah. um, as well. And I think airdrops, like, there's no way you could look at those numbers and say, you know, that was, that was a good decision. Like on paper, on paper, that was a good decision. Um, most of these, you know, projects, like even as successful as they are, uh, you know, have, have not generated anything near what those numbers like represent or, nor have they like retained most of the users that receive those airdrops. That's like, just, there's no really arguing against that, but does that in itself make this like, clear that these were really, really bad decisions. Um, it's less, less clear. I think, um, I think in, I don't know if projects like would admit this or if or maybe I'm, I'm off here, but I do feel like there is, or at least last cycle there was, you know, this is kind of not really a choice for these protocols. It's kind of the cost of also being a DAO and having that be, you know, the norm in order for people to like use your product. Um, you have to get these tokens out there somehow, right? Um, if you've chosen the token path, which you know they've they've obviously all have, um, and at that point, you're not even looking at like profitability. I, I don't think there's anybody on these teams who is monitoring the airdrops and showing like, okay, was this a good? You know, what are the CAC metrics here? Like, what are our retention of airdrop? You know, users. I don't think there's. I think. Because even if you you got the numbers and they were terrible, I think the decision was like it's still already made that we need to get X amount of this token out of like you know our ownership and into the community. Um, and so it's not like there's you know super strong like financial you know like logic. I would say like informing a lot of this stuff, or at least there hasn't been in the past. Now, I, do I still think there's like lots of room to move forward and improve that? Yes. Um, and can you still like find ways to distribute that, you know, those large allocations of, of token supply to the public? Like, I, I still think so as well. Um, 
and we started to see this a little bit towards the end of the last cycle. And, and today, you know, sometimes there's multiple steps to claiming an airdrop, right? You have to like do this, do this little task, do that, at least try like bare minimum, like do perform some actions, vote on like, mm. you know, something right. Um, to get your full airdrop. Um, and I think at the very least you should be doing that. Like have the civil civil protection like in there, which is is still a struggle, it seems like for a lot of people for a lot of projects. Have some sort of like, you know, drawn out sort of distribution, even to the first people that that are selected and whitelisted and and you know, those that like continue using the platform should get outsized allocations. You know, I don't think this only like backwards looking, you know, on chain history piece really makes a ton of sense. Um, but I will say they also have been maybe last thing um, I've noticed that airdrops are getting a little bit more strategic in terms of not just looking at on chain activity. You see like all the contributors of for Celestia, at least it was like all the contributors of, you know, even some Bitcoin repos, Ethereum repos, Cosmos, um, basically all the, the, you know, influential stakeholders from the development communities that they want to pull from, you know, got an allocation. And I think that that's, you know, we're getting there. So Celestia got a little bit of, um, uh, pushback, I would say, uh, just in terms of that, we're looking at the Celestia's token allocation here. Um, I mean, overall, it's actually a very good launch. Sorry, I didn't mean to start off on a negative foot there. But uh, overall, I would say very successful launch for for Celestia. Um, this the, we're looking at a graph, a chart of the token allocation here. Uh, first of all, this is created by Masari. I think Masari did Celestia a little bit dirty here by labeling this this whole group as insiders, which is just optically not you know not great. And I don't think super super fair in terms of, but, but the, the breakout for those who, who are following along just the audio, uh, 17.6% went to the initial core contributors, 15.9% went to early backers seed 15 or 19.7% went to early backers series A and B. So, you know, that's a combined 35%, uh, 26.8% uh, is going to R and D and ecosystem. And then there's a public allocation of 20%, um, some for the Genesis, uh, drop and incentivized test net. And then, uh, 12.6 for future initiatives. So I don't know. I, I, there was a lot of pushback on this there. Not, not a lot. There was some pushback in, I don't know. I'm a little bit torn. I, I actually kind of push back on the pushback because, you know, there is on the one hand, I think there's a lot of people who've been investing in crypto for a long time who are scarred, uh, by sometimes unfair, but sometimes fair accusations of VC dumping. Um, I am personally of the opinion that VCs get kind of a bad rap in crypto. The space would not exist without VCs. If you've ever, like, a lot of these companies during these this period of time would just flat out go out of business if you didn't have people that were willing to underwrite good businesses at this period of time. Um, now, that's not to say every VC is totally great. Um, and there definitely is, there have been some sort of egregious examples in the past of just dumping these sort of VC, they tend to be layer ones, um, that end up getting no adoption and retail just gets flogged. So I think there's some some legitimate pushback there. But I do think on the other hand, a lot of the time, the accounts that you see doing this, and I'm not picking on this is uh, Thicky Thought, who I, I like a lot, and we went back and forth on Twitter on this. I, I pushed back a little bit. I do think there's a little bit of entitlement sometimes, um, uh, entitlement from people who just say, I deserve to get this huge allocation that 
I'm just going to turn around and dump. Let's be honest. Like, I don't want these VCs to dump on me. I should be doing the dumping, you know, is is my interpretation of, of a lot of this pushback. And I don't know. I'm kind of like, if, if anything, I'm looking at this, okay, maybe the allocation of investors looks a little high. I mean, if anything, this looks low to the team. Like, I, I would prefer a good healthy amount going to the team and being reserved for future contributors. Like, I don't know. I, I sometimes I do, I do think there's a little bit of entitlement sometimes in, in crypto, like give some to the community, but why does, why are we just giving stuff away to the community? I don't actually understand that. Yeah. <laughs> I, there's gotta be like a strategic reason, kind of like going back to the, the previous point we were talking about. Um, because, you know, on paper, it looks it's like a, a very bad, you know, financial decision for, for these teams just to be giving it away. Um, I, yeah, I won't speak to like the, the, like the percentages there and like, you know, whether or not that's justified, but like in general, I completely agree with you. Um, you have to put yourself in like the shoes of these projects and they need to make decisions with their token that are going to lead to, you know, help their chances of of maximizing like that end you know state right yeah. like becoming the biggest prod you know version of themselves that they can be um and you know just giving a bunch of speculators tokens that they can immediately dump doesn't really move you towards that um i will say for this one it is super unique because there is no activity that happens on celestia so it's not like there's users like retail users on celestia that need Tia to pay for gas, right? The only users um, of Tia will be the rollups themselves. Um, the rollups will need to obviously hold Tia to post data. Um, and you really want like in a perfect world for Celestia, they're trying to, you know, position this token to be, um, you know, as much as possible used by the rollups for gas, right? Um, and then, then it gets into the hands of the users, right? Because the users won't be on Celestia. And so I think a lot of, a lot of this is for them, if like, if I were in their seat, it'd be like, oh, how do we ensure that, you know, Tia is the base asset of the rollups that, that use us? Um, or how do we make sure that it is, you know, one of the, the most commonly, you know, held assets? Um, of course that like detracts a little bit against, you know, trying to attract rollups that want to have their own gas token, um. And so it's just about striking that right balance. And so I don't think, you know, that the airdrop was, is the most important part here. I think it's, it's probably what comes later. And, and um, I would also mention that with Celestia, it is, there's no token governance, unlike other Cosmos chains and unlike rollups like Optimism and Arbitrum, there's no way to have this big, you know, allocation of in, like an incentive allocation, right? That we see with Optimism and Arbitrum and, and Cosmos Chains, they're all voting of how to like, you know, which which projects on their rollup should get incentives or, you know, with Osmosis or something like that, which pools should get incentives or, or lending protocols, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that all needs, that's all voted through governance and that's not, you know, uh, possible on Celestia and it's, it's really the opposite of what they're optimizing for. Um, they want it to be, you know, like as minimal as possible. Um, so maybe just to add a little color there on why it's not apples to apples. Yeah, I would agree with that. Celestia is, Celestia is interesting for a couple of reasons. So Celestia to me, I think what makes it unique is that it's, 
it is an L1, right? It obviously comes from the Cosmos ecosystem and is an L1, but it's not quite as clear to me, and I could be wrong here, and maybe some folks in the Celestia team can correct me if they're listening, but it feels like the customer for Celestia is developers, right? Not necessarily like retail users. So it makes it interesting from a marketing perspective in terms of who you're trying to to reach. And what I would liken it to is, I think, all right, in the same way that in the United States, pharmaceutical companies run ads for their various, you know, medications, even though it's going to be doctors that recommend it. It's kind of like you have an end consumer that you want to have a brand with, and but you also have this intermediate figure standing between you, which in this case would be the doctor's office that prescribes that medication. So you want to you want to kind of go around them, market to your end consumer so that they say positive things to the doctor's office, and then that, that you use that drug instead of other uh, you know, generic drug XYZ. I think there's some element of that that's probably relevant from the go-to-market perspective for Celestia. I think so. Yeah, I think I think Celestia, you know, it's it's DA solution is it's trying to pull from two ecosystems. It's trying to get Cosmos developers. They're saying to Cosmos developers, listen, you get pretty much all the benefits of a Cosmos chain without the cost and like having to deal with this validator set. To Ethereum rollup devs, they're saying, listen, you know, your your rollup is probably economically not viable because of how you know uh, Ethereum's DA costs. You can have an actual profitable rollup if you use Celestia, um, and you know I think the token is the way to get to like the end customer, or at least build mm. brand brand awareness with the with the end customer. Um, yeah. And so I think that that's a separate sort of product for them. The 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 asset itself is a separate product than in who they're going after with the asset is separately than who they're trying to get to use the network itself. Yeah. I completely agree with that. I, you know, the other thing I like about Celestia is I think that they have, that they've got this idea. I really like their light notes is what I like as a solution, because going back to that observation that we were talking about, uh, sort of a limited uh, definition of what decentralization is basically being able to read, read and write to copies of this shared database. And so having the least common denominator of that hardware be extremely low or very accessible, that's also a, a you know, that's very challenging from the throughputs of the system. I, I think Celestia, and this would be the Cosmos point of view, and and maybe Solana gets there too. They kind of have tiny dancers. I, I do think that light clients uh, are, are a very interesting solution for how to keep the integrity of blockchains. Like maybe at the end of the day, uh, you know, you, you have something where you have a professional sort of node operators that are actually performing a lot of the the work that's uh, building and validating blocks, but then users, it's super cheap and easy. Like on your phone, you can just verify that all of the rules in this system are being followed. Maybe that's good enough. I don't know. I sort of feel like this, the Celestia light node innovation is, I, I, I am a big yeah. fan. Yeah. Is it is it users or is it like you go to wallets and you have wallets start using light nodes to pull like data instead of using, you know, like Infura or like other RPC like data providers. Like to me, I think it, it, it I agree with you. Like it, it gets to the end user. Um, right. But if I was like, in, you know, trying to, to make that, you know, reality a thing, who am I actually going to go to? I'm probably going to go and try to convince, you know, wallet providers to do that. Um, of course, MetaMask probably wants to use Infura, but anyways. So, yeah, I think I agree with you, and I, 
think that that's where we're heading with, with a lot of this. All right, let me ask you this. Let's say you are put in charge. You are now the head of, uh, you know, COO or head of strategy at Celestia. And uh, I'm asking Miles, how are we going to compete with INDA, uh, sort of more native Ethereum solution? You know, what's what's the playbook, do you think, for how uh, Celestia competes from a data availability standpoint? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good question because I think that that, you know, is their main competitor. And I would just say that Celestia has, if I were in their shoes, the way I would frame it is, you know, we've been focused on one thing and being the absolute best at that one thing. Um, and like on paper, I'd be interested to see just how like the metrics compare. Um, but if you can build better products, right. Using like Celestia, then, then that's your main pitch. Um, I, it's, it's unclear to me exactly like with Eigen DA, you know, just how much of Ethereum you know, you're, you're getting, you know, with better performance, um, and I think that you'll you'll need to view like these alternative DA solutions as you know you're not getting like the market cap of Ethereum as your security, right? Um, you're gonna we're gonna start like teasing out what the real trade offs here are, and I'm really sick of the words like alignment and enshrinement. <laughs> I feel like I'm so excited for us to stop like having you know alignment as a strategy, um, but. That's just that's just me personally. I've been been hearing too much for too long. I'm with you on that. I'm I'm not a huge fan either. I here's the issue with it. I think is it prevents spreading good unique ideas across. Like part of the reason why I advocate, like I think it's actually quite a good thing that you have multiple different ecosystems out there in the world, is because. The, the 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 infrastructure problem we're trying to solve with blockchains is actually immense. And from an organizational standpoint, it probably you do end up getting a better outcome if you have instead of everyone just trying to solve everything at once, if you do have these ecosystems that uh, optimize for data availability and you get cool innovations like data availability sampling, right? Like Mustafa of Celestia pioneered. Um, and you have maybe Solana, which is focused on the actual execution layer and throughput of the chain, whereas Ethereum is leading the way on, uh, you know, validity proofs, things like that. I think all of that is is really good. But when you have a really tribal approach to it, which a lot of people in crypto do, you, you know, you you miss some of the innovations on on these other chains. Like you know, actually a good one that um, that there was a really interesting. Been a while since we've talked about it at the show, and I'll put my hand up and say I haven't been paying a lot of attention to this ecosystem. But uh, Avalanche, uh, Patrick O'Grady over there actually put forth a really interesting proposal. I can share my screen about um, the road to, you know, it's kind of a, or the path to 100,000 subnets, uh, overhauling the relationship between the Avalanche primary network and subnets. And the what's interesting about this is. So I actually had to re refresh myself with the, the design of Avalanche, but they have three chains. They have the C chain, the, the P chain, and the, the X chain, and they have different subnets. Um, and subnets, you can sort of think it's very actually similar to, it's kind of like a mix uh, between a sort of a Cosmos-like architecture and, and sort of roll-ups, um, like a hyperchain architecture like you might see on ZK Sync. And uh, it, it's, it's what's cool about it is you know, you can be a subnet validator. Uh, there's a high fixed cost to doing that. The problem with it is you can basically be a validator for the for the P chain, which is sort of this messaging system between different subnets. 
Um, and then to be a subnet validator, uh, you have to actually validate the P chain as well. There's a very high fixed cost to doing that, but it basically is a really good interoperability solution in between these different subnets. The problem is the economics of subnets are almost perfectly inverse with the economics of rollups on Ethereum. So rollups on Ethereum are extremely low fixed costs, very high variable costs, which is good for startups at the beginning. The problem is once you hit scale, those costs just never go away. And data availability is this massive uh, sort of intractable, not intractable because you've got EigenDA and Celestia for solutions, but it's this, it's this variable cost. Whereas it's almost the opposite in, in Avalanche subnets. There's a high fixed cost, but it's very low variable. So not so good for startups because you don't want to have this super high fixed cost, um, which well, then you don't like, even know if they... It's like Polkadot, right? That was, that was their issue as well. It is like, it's exactly like Polkadot. Um, and I don't know anything. I was getting dinner with a mutual friend of ours actually last night who mentioned that there might be some innovations over there, but that this was a debate, right? This like, what is the economics of these, of these, uh, you know, sort of app chains going to be. And I think parachains were actually much more extreme where there was a very, very high fixed costs. You had to apply to be a parachain. How many were there? There were only like 14 or something like that. Yeah, extremely, extremely limited, very expensive. I would say that model didn't work at all. Avalanche is a little less extreme. I think it's, I think there's fixed costs of like, it's in the range of like $30,000 or something like that. It's, it's, it's relatively, it's, it's, it's high, but it's not, it's not absolutely crazy. Um, but still too high for, for startups. So what they're starting to do is they are, they're relaxing the requirements for being a subnet validator. Uh, so you don't have to validate the main chain, but you have to like bond some amount of AVAX or something like that. So they're reducing, again, it's just this, like, instead of thinking about these things in a very tribalistic, like this good, that bad, it's just, they're just what these different ecosystems are doing, they're toying with the economic models until they find this equilibrium solution that makes sense for where applications are at. And I think if you were to be really tribal about it and ignore what other ecosystems are doing, you'd miss some really cool stuff. So No, no, pay attention, pull in the best practices, like take you know those experiment, experiments and run with them on in, in your own ecosystems. Like I think I think that's a lot of that's actually starting to, to go on, I would say more and more now. Um, Cause just reading that, like a lot of that, you know, sounds familiar to, I'd say like, even like Cosmos, you know, interchain security uh, scaling issues. Um, and it sounds similar to what, you know, eigenlayer like AVSs will have to deal with. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. Um, and I don't know, it feels, feels like the tribalness is maybe dying down. Maybe, maybe that's just me, but, um, you know, we, it, it kind of comes and goes in waves of, you know, like jealousy or like, you know, one, one ecosystems, you know, cutting corners, right. And, and, and not marketing it like truthfully, like that's another thing here. Um, yeah. And so I think that's all okay, but it, it feels like there's a good, you know, cohort of folks that are like actually, you know, pretty open-minded across all of these things. Um, and just, and just looking for the best solutions. Yeah, I think so. I wish, I wish it was a little bit even, even broader. And part yeah. of the reason why this ends up happening too, you can already see it just cause we've been being so kind to Solana, a little bit of a, not admonishment, but like you already are, it was like Solana went on one run and they're already dunking all over the ETH people. And it's like, guys, let's just break this chain. You know, like we could just not dunk on each other when, when our coin runs, you know, it, yeah. and it's because I think, and it is funny, I've, cause 
initially, I think the Ethereum people just got so smacked around by the Bitcoiners who I, I think had a pretty not graceful perspective towards Ethereum. Then they were like, they sort of took that and learned it and applied it to Solana. And so the chain of, you know, chain of harassment goes. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, th I think the upcoming one that I'm, I'm interested to see is, you know, how folks react to these DA solutions now that they're actually coming out. Um, you know, you could see like somebody throwing around like questionable DA solutions, quote unquote, like AKA Celestia, um, but will, you know, similar sort of like, could you poke similar holes in, in Eigen DA, uh, even though it's more Ethereum aligned, I'm sure that there are like design decisions that the Celestia team will look to it as, as counterpoints, um, or avail or, or espresso. Right. Um, you know, I think is there going to be looking at like, I would say like the canonical roll up, right. That uses Ethereum for everything, um, is going to come under attack soon. Um, and there's not going to be as many that are like viable to do that. Um, but Vitalik, you know, had a great post this week, just reminding people that like, there is a spectrum of how these rollups will look. There's a spectrum of, you know, how they will, you know, use DA and, and it should align to their various use cases. Right. And that's always the way to look at it is the infrastructure should be informed by the application and how it's being used, um, mm -hmm. and arguing, you know. I, I just, just to do things one way because it should be the right way is, is it's never that black and white. Um, but I am, I'm interested to get the popcorn out and see what happens when a lot roll, a lot more rollups start moving off of, you know, the, the, the tried and true sort of like Ethereum DA model. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, I agree that I think DA is going to be the the big narrative. And when you look at upcoming catalysts for, for crypto, I think, uh, things that are not just straight up macro uh, catalysts would be obviously the having a spot ETF. And then I think 4844 is on some folks radar because that's going to either decrease the cost or increase the margin depending on what rollups. It's just additional bandwidth essentially that's been subsidized by Ethereum for rollups. You get your blob space. Um, I, I sort of in the camp that that is going to surprise the downside if i had to guess i don't think i know um well i, I was talking to a guy who's crunched the numbers on this and it, it's, it's not an enormous amount of bandwidth for for these roll-ups and there are many different roll-ups uh right now and it's sort of unclear to me at least how many roll-ups we really need um maybe fewer than exist today uh and if i like Clearly, what rollups have been extremely successful at is attracting transactions and activity, and uh, it's. I think four eight four four might not actually be as helpful in terms of fees as the market is predicting. Which would be, you know, if that's what the market thinks, and we get a surprise to downside, that's slightly less good. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I was like alluding to here. Is I think once that becomes clear, you know, it's there's that's when like Ethereum as that DA value prop will kind of come under attack. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't think like some infrastructure like that is, is going to be a market catalyst. Um, and it's, you know, kind of come from the applications themselves. Um, and so I agree with the state of the world today in terms of like, you know, oversupply versus demand, um, but could change very, very quickly. So. Miles, what do you, do you think this 
uh, yeah, knock on wood, not that it's started already, but uh, in in this next cycle, this is going to be the first cycle we get real uh, consumer apps that that breach the the whole of the crypto natives or actually go go mainstream. Or do you think this is another infra cycle? I would hope so. I would hope that we we even if it's you know doesn't have like decade long staying power that you know the the mainstream we actually break the apps themselves a little bit more into the mainstream and we did with OpenSea you know for a bit um, last cycle and I think we'll see more of that. Um, I think payments are an interesting one. We'll see like <laughs> it's always hard for me to tell just how overhyped or underhyped it is and in, in like you know, where traction stands today, but I think that there's a lot being done there on the payment side, um, which may not look like that killer sexy app, but that would look on chain. Like we are getting, you know, usage on levels that we haven't seen before. If one of those actually takes off, um, it just wouldn't be like branded necessarily as a crypto app. It would just be using crypto in the background. So yeah, I think, I think, I think we, we, we will in some way, shape or form. Um, and you know, it's probably going to be very non-obvious and something or like non-obvious now that seems obvious when it, when it does take off. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I struggle with it a little bit. I, I know it's a very popular thing to say that the L1, the new L1 trade is dead. Uh, I, I don't think that it is. So maybe, maybe four or five, four or five L1s. I do think, I'm just trying to think about stuff that, that might be less obvious, but, but needs to happen. I do think there's an amount of infrastructure that needs to get rebuilt um, on the capital market side. There's a lot that we like the lending desks is sort of an area that they just got carted out. And I know it's, oh, never again. We're never going to do that again. We're going to do it again. <laughs> the only question to me is whether it's just going to be a uh, CFI 2.0 and a reboot with slightly more professional operating teams, uh, deeper access to capital, that kind of stuff, or if it actually moves on to DeFi. And I, I do I do worry a little bit, actually. Like, obviously, I'm rooting for stuff to go on chain. But one thing I think it's very important for us to just look and be very clear-eyed about is that just putting something on chain does not make it risk-proof, right? We, we should be very open-eyed about that. Like, you almost saw this happen with the Aave curve situation this year, where, I mean, there's a lot of essentially equity of these uh, you know, platforms that are being used to pledge collateral to somewhere else. And it's just good old risk management, right? At the end of the day, this is just, this is the Sam Kazamian interview that we did. It's managing assets and liabilities. You can mess that up on chain too. So I, I would say maybe just as a, a cautionary word, let's just not assume just because it's on chain, it's it's absolved of, of, of any risk. It's, it's not. Um, so there's infrastructure that I think needs to get rebuilt, but more on the capital market side of infrastructure. I do think a lot of these overhyped infra rounds, infra projects in ETH, probably disappoint to the downside. If I had to, if I had to guess, like a lot of extremely rich valuations. Um, I so know. I would, I would just say, like, a, if you want to be bullish for like Ethereum, um, I would say that it would, I'm almost more bullish on like Ethereum L1. As we're like related to institutional capital coming on chain and things like that, um, you know, if and when there is on chain, like if they you know, these market participants actually choose to use on chain alternatives versus in the absence or or instead of uh, off you know centralized providers, 
they're not going to go on roll-ups for the most part. Like they're going to start dipping their toes into, you know, Aave um, on, on Ethereum, only like the most battle-tested protocols. And even with Curve, I mean, I was talking to, to somebody at a large institution today that did does have like, you know, tens of millions of dollars deposited on chain and they were not in the effective Curve pools, but when that happened, they had to pull everything and that and that's a huge pain in the ass and then you have to have all the yeah. account all the accounting reporting and you know like data monitoring issues um that all needs to be set up um and the other thing i would say about why to be like bullish ethereum uh l1 is i think all of these new primitives around you know like intent-based protocols um the anything that is using zk you know coprocessors i think all of that innovation is going to happen first on ethereum l1 because mm. it's once you add, once you, none of these guys are going to start with try this, you know, very experimental, like new, new sort of like uh, way of building applications is not going to start on rollups, I don't think. Um, so I think it's still the home of innovation, even though it's the weirdest, you know, like l really, really like least performative, most expensive to use. Um, but there's, I think, yeah, reasons to be bullish there. I agree. I also would say, if we've shown these charts before, actually, I actually haven't looked at it in the last month or so, but if you look at some of the DeFi 1.0, uh, you know, darlings, uh, the sort of synthetics of the world or the makers of the world, I mean, those have just been doing extremely well. Um, and when I say extremely well, I don't necessarily mean token price, but in terms of generating fees and real revenue. And... I think for for DeFi, you know, that's a really good point that you bring up about ETH main chain, because that is the most tested and true thing. And I do tend to think security, brand, stability, safety are the winning adjectives for financial applications. And I think ETH has that more so than than any chain at this point. So we started as a Solana bull podcast and we're ending as back to being Ethereum bulls. Um, but no, I think I think it's all fair, right? Um, they both serve a purpose. I think it's easy to like, I just think it's easy to like all of them. They, they just all contribute something slightly different. And uh, yeah, um, I feel like I had one more question for you, but we can probably, we could probably wrap it there. I think this was a nice, nice discussion. Tokens yeah. are back, you know, it's, it's, it's exciting. We're back, baby. We're back. We're back. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I think that's a better way of ending it. Yeah, that is a maybe. better way of ending it. We're back, yeah. maybe. We got a taste of what it felt like again this week. We oh, yeah. Like, all, all felt nice. Yeah. Well, I mean. you and I were talking a couple weeks ago. We were on the phone, and that was when Bitcoin printed that like 15% candle yeah. or whatever in yeah. uh, two minutes. And yeah. I was a bad phone conversation. I was like, Miles, did you see this? Something's um, going on. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. no, I, I think... And the, the what, maybe maybe just in closing here, because I feel like I've referenced this article before, but at BlockWorks Research, we're doing a lot of uh, very fundamentally oriented on-chain uh, research and, and analytics. And you know, this this everyone in crypto should read this article. Yeah, the crypto price innovation cycle, and it describes the causal uh, chain reaction that happens to kickstart a bull market. And you think, 
right, as a fundamental investor, right, that some the fundamental on-chain metrics start to pick up and then some savvy investors who are really keyed in start to see that and they say, oh, well, these devs are building and therefore, the you know, the stuff is more valuable, so I'm going to buy it. And the point that, that Eddie makes here that just really resonates with with how I've seen this work is actually the thing that kickstarts it, the thing that happens first is price. Then when the price runs, then the interest comes, then the new ideas come, and then startups and projects. So, you know, because this is what people said about Solana for such a long period of time is that I just don't see the activity. There's no activity. And I, I heard that so much. And I was like, but you clearly see the momentum shifting here. And I think the the rational way of describing that relationship is that on-chain activity is actually a lagging indicator. Like if you are waiting to see on-chain activity, it is like waiting for, it's like just in economics, there are forward-looking indicators like new orders or PMI or things like that. And then there are really lagging indicators like inflation or uh, uh, unemployment rate. That's like the last thing to turn. And I, I really think that's the case with on-chain activity too, because First, you need the price to go up. Then you need people to get excited about it. Then you need media writing good stuff about it. Then you need people that are are literally wealthier to invest in new things, attract entrepreneurs, and then finally the on-chain activity starts to pick up. But I, I really think that that it's a lagging – my framework for it is that it's a lagging indicator, actually. That's interesting. Yeah, no, I think that's probably right. Um that said, it's, you know, I think a lot of the new ideas that come out at the tail end of that cycle are now like well positioned today. And, um, you know, to actually have like a lot of that on-chain activity happen when, when prices start to, to, to go up. And I would just say like, you know, osmosis this week, um, it's what did not launch a token, right. It did not like have anything other than being, you know, the venue of where Celestia launched on chain, um, and the amount of activity that came, you know, because of that was was in, in, like pretty insane. Uh, it was you know nothing that like Cosmos has seen since the Luna days. Um, and so, I do think that you know the prices also like benefit the incumbent on chain um, uh, protocols as well. And I don't think that really existed last cycle because they were still so nascent. But yeah, we'll we'll see. You know what? I was actually. I forgot to say this earlier when we were talking about uh, it being token season. You know what these these token launches remind me of is this was sort of how I felt when Curve launched CRV. Um, and yeah, that was, wow, that's crazy this was this late, August of 2020. Okay, so August of 2020, Curve launched their token. I remember thinking to myself like, Man, that's like new token launch. I mean, I guess this was right around the time of DeFi summer as well, but it was kind of, you know, it is interesting to remember that because I always, my memory of that was Bitcoin ran first and then ETH and then it all, yada, yada, it all compounded. But really you did have DeFi summer, you know, going pretty fast and hard. There was this sort of little idiosyncratic rally and that was kind of sort of new wealth creation, sort of PVP games a mix of both of those things, totally crypto native. I was isolated to sort of one corner of crypto. It was before it all really kicked off and the major started running, which is what you need to get a real bull market. But it sort of feels like that's where we're at uh, in the, at the current time. You sort of just started to see it with the beginnings of um, uh, like friend tech 
you know, that was the beginning. Okay, maybe or Pepe, you know, people are ready to maybe start ready to start gambling again. Now we've started to see a couple like Maker went on a little run, Solana just went on a big one, Chainlink, some of these more, but it's not really like and Bitcoin's just starting to move. I I sort of I sort of feel like that's about that's about where we are. Uh, if I had to so not tomorrow, maybe not the next day, but uh, sort of a checklist, you know. Yeah, right. Oh, I'd love that to be the case. Yeah, we've we haven't I, I, we haven't had our own version of yams yet, or whatever the fuck that like those fruit tokens were um, from back in the day. But you know, I think friend tech it's, it's it rhymes with it, um, and yeah, yeah. there's there's a lot of those preconditions are starting to happen. Um, so just stay patient, you know, one foot in front of the other. And like, I think it, it will pay off. Yeah. Well, I think one, one thing that I will just, I would be, I don't really know how I feel. I've historically not been a great predictor of this. So don't listen to me. But what I will say is I, if everyone was being like, yes, the ETF is the most bullish thing on earth, I would feel less excited about it. But generally when you talk to people about the ETF, they're like, Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, people already could have bought Bitcoin at Fidelity at this point. Most people who wanted to buy already would have bought. It'll be cool, but I don't think it'll really move the price. And I just think that's just emotional scarring of two years of bad bar. I mean, that's just that's a that's a middle of the bell curve thinking right there. That's I think yeah. you could just go ahead and left bell curve that and say yeah. ETF good. And uh, yeah, we can believe good news when it's obviously good news is how I view some of this stuff. So I think so. I yeah. think so. Not financial advice. I am never, usually wrong. So never. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm not. Fingers crossed. ETF good, having good. Knock on all the wood. Knock on all the wood. All right, buddy. This was a fun one. Yeah, it was a blast. Have a good one. <laughs>